Welcome to the Dental Money Lounge, the place where dentists can tune in to grow their money, wealth and financial knowledge. Here are your hosts, Hassan Mushaid and Max Bazzucchini. Welcome to another episode of the Dental Money Lounge. I'm your host, Hassan Mushaid, and my co-host, Max Bazzucchini, is actually not here with me today. He's stuck on a train and he's unable to connect with us. But today I have an influential guest who I've been looking forward to speaking with. Tiff Qureshi and I'm sure a lot of you listeners out there know who Tiff Qureshi is and you may already be connected with him uh, but I thought I'll get him on today's show just because he has a wealth of experience and knowledge in the dental industry because he's been here for a long time but he's also achieved so much. Tiff how are you? I'm fine thank you and thanks very much for having me. No worries and thank you for being on the show Tiff. I've had a quick conversation with Tiff just before the podcast to learn a little bit more about him and talk about his achievements over the years Tiff is a really humble guy, just to highlight to everybody. So you, you'll you'll get a sense of that anyway during the podcast. And I'll try to be his uh, Don King for the show, so I'll highlight his, uh, his achievements. But Tiff, you have yep. been here for, I mean, you, you, you are quite influential in dentistry. You have achieved so much. You were the president of the BACD a few years ago. You are one of the clinical directors at the Inman Alina Institute. I mean, also a director at Inman, uh, kind of the, the, the IES Academy. You are, I believe, I just discovered today, you still work at the current practice where you have been for, for years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Th- I mean, that's actually that's actually something different that I've not come across before. So in the industry, people perceive, or do they believe that they need to brand themselves and market themselves and achieve so many things and move on to so many new different things and, and, and see how far they can go. What you did is something different. You, you've, you've stayed solid with your foundations and and haven't moved in terms of your your base where you, all your patients see you, but you've achieved external things from from a dental career point of view, which was uh, exceptional. What made you decide to, or what what was your thinking when 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 deciding to achieve all these things but remain in the same practice? I, I don't think that. I mean, I think staying at the same practice became the obvious thing to do after a while. Once I started to kind of realise that I could. That the, my communication and relationship with patients was actually more important than anything. Just to let you know, you know, when I where I'm practicing, I've been there for probably nearly 26 years now. Okay. And it was a completely NHS practice, and um, you know, for the first three or four years, I, you know, I did a lot of NHS work, and and I'll be honest with you, I wasn't especially happy in dentistry. Yeah. Um, quite close to leaving the career, but taking a few courses and doing a few individual things, which I can come back to a bit later. Yeah. Really got me um, kind of plugged back into it. And so slowly over a period of time, we went, you know, we went private and we went private in our practice by talking to our patients, which seems to be, I wouldn't say a skill that's been lost, but it seems to be something that seem, seems to be much harder to achieve nowadays. Yeah. I think part of the UDA system has made it a lot harder, which when I look back, I think it was probably one of the worst things that ever happened to dentistry, actually, but I'd gone by then. So yeah. by having quite a, you know, having a, a private base of patients and in an area which wasn't particularly, you know, affluent, but it, it enabled me to, you know, get to know my patients and start to do at that time, you know, quite large treatments and treatment plans on them. I, I have to say, I never really felt the the need to move. I had a lot of offers to work in central London and Harley Street and all these things, but uh, the truth was that uh, where I was was quite a quite a real place, and I kind of, you know, I knew that I'd end up seeing these patients for this, the next few years, and I always got quite excited about you know seeing what my work looked like after one year or four yeah. years or five years, and I think that's really really important, and maybe is again becoming a little lost in in dentistry that you know your own follow up will teach you more than anything. I mentioned to you earlier, you know, I get to lecture 
all around the world and people are surprised when they well they're kind of surprised when they find out that i'm just a bds i'm just a bds yeah but the, the reality is is that i've taken many many courses but no no, no kind of academic uh, degree type courses but the truth is nothing has taught me more than seeing my own patients over the last 25 years no course has got anywhere near it i've learned so much from the mistakes that i've made and from the successes that it's helped me kind of work out what what i should be doing how i should communicate with them and the type of treatments that we should be we should be or i should be doing yeah so that's probably one reason it's been a, a lot of luck being in the same being in the right place discovering certain things at certain time and being kind of a bit more open-minded i think yeah one of the things you mentioned was that you were quite unhappy with dentistry at a certain point in your career i mean taking you back to that place what things did you dislike or what made you feel like that good question and i and i think this question is still uh, very relevant today in that i really could not stand the distrust patients had in dentists the national the national distrust yeah. patients had. i'm not talking about in, you know i did not like the fact that we still and i don't like the fact that still today one of the biggest problems in dentistry is there are many patients who don't trust dentists and i i i, well, I, I found it so uncomfortable that you were trying to tell a patient what they needed and they somehow thought you were just trying to get their money off them you, that yeah. was particularly hard as a young dentist particularly hard uh, you know with, with with the when working the nhs at the time i'm not saying that's with nhs yeah. patients it just was at the time and i just thought why you know why would someone doubt what i would want to do and i tell you what you know what what flipped it for me and it's going to be to sound a bit of a strange thing but it was actually buying an intraoral camera okay which first one I bought was about 22 years ago when they were incredibly um, basic and the, you know the amazing thing today is that I think intraoral cameras are so rare in general practice I know quite a few dentists have them yeah that the, the one thing that can actually totally dissolve all of the doubt and it just dissolves it immediately most dentists don't use every day I find it quite bonkers actually yeah you know, I think it should be something it should be in, in university teaching everybody should be using one because it just helps you get the patient on board with everything you're doing so that's kind of why it was it was basically that yeah. kind of feeling that you were being doubted by people yeah um, and and you know intro cameras and various other things and taking courses and stuff that that helped kind of keep yeah. me back in so i mean co- coming into dentistry with a with an optimistic point of view and and you are uh, a qualified dentist and, and and hopefully when you do get to meet patients you, you you presume that they will appreciate the knowledge that you have and and finding out they actually don't trust anything that you you told them based on all the studies and all the experience that you gain i can imagine that will no matter how optimistic you are it, that, that'll be just wiped away I, I, I think some people are more sensitive than others and yeah clearly i was a little bit but i i i just think it was it was you know, when it happens several times in a day or a couple of times in a day or maybe one time in a week. Yeah. One turns around and sort of makes that sort of comment. And there's many dentists out there listening to me right now who know exactly, they know exactly what I'm saying. I think the fact that that still happens today, yeah. 55 years later, is incredibly sad. Yeah. And I, I, I think that those who've been representing us in our profession have failed when it comes down to our image. And how and how we communicate with the public. I think there's people recently who've done an amazing job in trying to get dentistry out there. Yeah. But I, overall, the way that we've actually managed our image and what we're doing and why we're doing it in the public eye, yeah. unfortunately, has been a disaster. And I don't, you know, I'm not attacking any individuals no, no. here. I just think I just think that it's been, you know, I think one of the biggest problems has been leadership in our profession. Yeah. Generally, 
I think people, the, the people who end up leading in dentistry are not necessarily the best dentists. That's a terrible, that's, a, that's quite a controversial thing it to is, say. Yeah. I know, I appreciate it is, but if you think about it, I mean, to me, the very best dentists I ever knew in this country were people like like Michael Wise and Basil Mizrahi. You know, he's still practicing now. You know, yeah. could you imagine how different dentistry would be if one of those guys had been chief dental officer? Yeah. But, why, but why would they? We don't actually create an environment where the leading dentists would want to lead. There's no environment for it. So as a result, you kind of you end up getting what what we get. And in my opinion, I only really listen to people that I know clinically are very competent. And when I have leaders trying to tell me how to do dentistry, and I've got no idea of their clinical competency. I've not seen them lecture. Yeah, I, I, I find it hard to take them seriously. Again, quite controversial, <laughs> and I apologise. No, no, it's fine. It's a genuine, genuine good <laughs> I insight. To those people, but I think it is an important thing because in the future ahead, I think that young dentists must not take for granted and must not think that those above them right now are somehow. Are the best people representing them and getting yeah. all due respect to those people trying hard to do it and what they need to really do is to try and look and see you know who is doing dentistry who understands dentistry the best yeah those are the people that should be representing us you know that's that's the way i feel anyway i've gone off topic <laughs> yeah no no it's fine uh, you, you're being genuine and open which, which is exactly <laughs> what people want to hear and because you have that experience everything that you say would be appreciated you, you mentioned there are some people out there recently who have been representing dentistry quite well are you able to highlight who those people are that you, you think are doing a are putting dentist in, in in the right in the right light yeah i think i mean it's a tricky one because you, you mentioned one person and someone else will become offended <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know I, I, pro I probably won't actually, okay but okay I, I think i think there are a lot of i think what there definitely are there's a lot of extremely good uk talent yeah. particularly teaching i think you know i travel the world a lot and the days of UK dentistry being a total joke are gone because there are people out there who are international lecturers and they're they're well known. They are, you know, we all know who they are, yeah. and they they really do show that that, that British dentistry is 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 very you know has, has come along such a long way. And actually, yeah. I think we're in the I think we're the leaders in the world in many areas now. Whereas we always used to look across the pond and think the Americans did it better. And I genuinely don't think that's the case anymore. So um, yeah, I mean. You know, I think there's yeah. a lot of people. There's a lot of people out there do trying to do a lot of good. There's no doubt about it. Oh, I definitely, yeah, it definitely. Need a little bit of. I just think we just need somehow a little bit more cohesion, and then we can kind of be a bit more unified. That's kind of way it should be. So that's an interesting thing you just said there, Tiff. So unity could be the key to success for UK dentistry. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, I, I think, I think the, the problem is, is that I think unless you've got people that are really inspiring to lead. It's hard to be unified. Yeah. You get my point? And, you know, and I, I don't want to point the finger at certain people, but I think back to some of the people, some of those people in certain positions yeah. through career, going back quite a long way. I don't, I never found those people inspiring. And, I, you know, as a dentist, I wasn't thinking, I want to be like them. You know, the people that really inspired me were, were, were just amazing dentists, you know, who could show the work they've been doing for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And those are the people that I, I wish somehow would be the ones that helped us direct our, our profession. But as I said, that's almost an impossible task, isn't it? Because you have to make, you have to, I mean, you have to identify that yeah. problem and then, then get them to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's not yeah. A thing. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I've had a, a lot of people that have kind of influenced me and, and changed my career. So Tiff, who are those people that have inspired you? 
yeah, I mean, I, I would find, I would say that uh, one person is Pascal Manier, probably because even though he seems like somebody who's right at the end of the spectrum in dentistry of, of just doing the most amazing work, watching the kind of work he was doing um, at the time was quite inspirational, particularly as a cosmetic dentist when we were doing quite a lot of, uh, you know, veneers and we were being a little bit, you know, heavy with preparation. And so the, just his kind of attention to detail and, and honesty in work there's definitely one person. I would say another one, very big, and probably one of the main people who changed my career was uh, a chap named Sverko Toriskog, who was a, uh, a dentist who worked with an orthodontist uh, between Norway and Sweden. Yeah. And him, him and the orthodontist's name is Bjorn Zakrasen, who's still alive. Sverko's died. The pair of them, in my opinion, uh, were and still are the world's greatest uh, pair of dentist orthodontist a team ever to have lived and it's a bit sad really i would say that there's still not really anyone today uh, who can kind of get anywhere near what they were doing and the reason why he changed my career was because i saw him lecture a couple of times and what he was showing were cases that were 10 years old 15 year old yeah 20 years old 25 years old and i'd never seen anything like that and i learned so much more from that and what our value of being a dentist actually is yeah compared to this whole idea that you're just trying to do some big treatment for somebody and then you know you take your money you do it perfectly and say goodbye yeah and that was actually you know well, that was one of the reasons why why you know I, I certainly wanted to stay in my practice I yeah yeah to do that and so as a result you know you know that's one of, one of the highlights of my days is seeing patients that, that are coming back after 5, 10, 15 years yeah. because just seeing what's happening actually sometimes it doesn't look that great but it's but you still learn from it that's right yeah and I, I mean you can see from social media and generally through marketing people are branding themselves and showing their cases on there which which are obviously someone's walked in with a problem and they resolved it there and then but in terms of long-term review of those treatments that they completed, I've not seen it yet. Honestly, nobody's ever putting up cases from 10 years ago on social media. This is the case out of 10 years ago. This is how we maintained it, or this is what the result is now. No, no one does that. So well, that's right. I think, I think you know, you, you, that's what I try to do, and I try to aspire to do that. And I, it's actually one reason why, you know, I'm, I'm still in practice. I mean, yeah. quite frankly, I'd probably get to the point where I could stop and focus on this teaching. I, you know, potentially could. But I want to do that for this reason because it, it's, it helps me learn every day to then add more value to our teaching. Yeah. That has actually changed the direction of our academy. So, you know, it's not in the line anymore. It's all it's IAS basically, which is yeah. a bit different. But, but that's really an overall, an overarching type of approach, which is more about looking at things over the long run, you know, why things have worked and how to make things last. You know, our goal is, is not just to teach orthodontics it's to actually teach to re teach to restore for function but then critically to teach how to retain and hold things there for life yeah. that's yeah. kind of what i want to do so i think you're right on social media you know everything is a before and after yeah you know, everything's the same day smile or something and that's fine and, and some of it looks beautiful and i think the standard of the work coming from a lot of young dentists is extremely high i mean really good you, yeah. you know i think it's really really good but I think the, it's important not to have this idea that it's all about this same day smile mentality, that really you've got to be looking at what's going on over a long period of time. There's yeah. no such thing as a, you know, as a final smile or whatever, or a finished smile. It's there and you've got to face it in five years time or 10 years time, you know, and you need to face it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a message I'm trying to put out there a lot more just to get people to think a bit more long term than just 
this initial five yeah. minutes. I mean, I can, I can instantly tell you're in the you're in the business of building relationships with your patients, and and you've obviously benefited from that through the experiences and the, and the mistakes and the successes with the cases mm. you've done as well. I mean, over your career, you must have had numerous times where you failed. How, mm. how, how what, what keeps you grounded and what keeps you going forward, regardless of how many failures you you you've you've, you've kind of compiled over the years? I, I guess it's how you how you define a failure because yeah. I suppose if if you know, you've done some composite build-ups on someone's teeth, and then seven to ten years later, they're needing replacement. You know, the, compa- the, the comparison is: is that a failure? You know, if I'd done those teeth with veneers, you know, the average the, the average lifespan of veneers, from my understanding, is meant to be ten, 10 to fifteen years or something. Yeah. And I haven't had to prep the teeth with the composite. Is it a failure? I don't know. But I mean, stuff does go wrong, and things do chip a bit earlier. I think the key thing here, and it gets back to the point earlier on, that. I'm treating my own patients and they know me and they trust me and it, and this is a really important message I think that I see a lot of people at the moment kind of desperately trying to get new patients in through the door on social media when actually the patient who who's going to trust you the most and probably and I haven't got the evidence to prove it but I would guess the patient who's far less likely to turn around and sue you is the one that you've known for a few years yeah. the one that you are friends with and the key here is by looking and diagnosing what's happening with these patients so part of the problem is is cosmetic dentistry cosmetic dentistry is one of these things where you just sort of think right i'm going to make my teeth look nicer and now who's going to do that is a patient how many patients who sit in our chairs every day are suddenly going to do that usually not a lot normally it's we're looking for brand new patients to offer cosmetic dentistry too. It's the typical way. What I am trying to do and what I'm trying to show people is that if you if you communicate with your patients and you change your diagnosis and you change your examinations, you can actually start to intercept a lot of the dental breakdown that goes on in a patient's mouth over the years and treat those patients, still give them a nice cosmetic result, but they end up having it for the for the right reasons yeah. rather than just a you know, frivolous smile makeover, whatever you want to call it. And that's kind of where I'm going with it, because I did all that smile makeover stuff, and it's shallow. Now, I'll tell you something, there are people that won't like me to say that, but it is shallow, and it isn't, and unless you've got some long-term aim to see those patients again, it's totally shallow, and in my opinion, borderline irresponsible, actually. You know, I'll say that, I'll say that in inverted commas, because I've done that, and when I've not, when I've just let those people go, and then I've I've seen them 10, 15, 20 years later, I've regretted that I've done it. Was it the ones that I've done and looked after, um, you know, made them wear a retainer or looked after, fixed things before they went wrong, that sort yeah. of thing, are in a much better place. So I think it's a lot of it is down to the fact that failures, when they occur, are occurring on people who have already built some trust with, yeah. rather than just trying to dive into a you know, a big smile makeover type treatment. That's kind of the way I would go. Again, it's this is the whole long-term thinking, and and you're actually implementing it within your within your patient um, treatments and communication. And yeah, that's actually a really useful advice. There, really, I would say that that's really useful. I think I think you know I think a lot of practices can can benefit from that thinking. And I think there's a lot of a lot of a lot of practices that are growing and developing. And you've got all these big big practices now, and all these kind of people who own all these companies that own loads of practices. Well, really, you know, to a certain degree, what they really want is their dentists learning how to actually look after their own patients better, yeah. rather than necessarily offering all these flashy services. You, yeah. get, you kind of get a point. It's you know, if you just actually manage your own patients better, 
you will end up doing a lot more a lot more interventive treatment on them, which is a lot safer than yeah. all the big stuff later on. That's kind of where, the way I would look at it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I mean, thinking short term and short term gains where you are impressed or feel proud of a case that you've done. But again, it is a bit of a, yeah, I'm going to be a bit controversial as well, really, but it is a bit, unethical is not the right word, it's too strong, but I would say you have yeah, to care yeah. about the patient long-term as well. I mean, once they leave the, the surgery, once they've got their treatment, whatever, are they going to have the right education and knowledge to then maintain their yeah. own teeth, their health? And it's, it's, yeah, it's not just for short-term looks or gains. Absolutely right. I, I think you're right. I mean, unethical is probably, you know, a, a harsh term, but yeah. I think, Kind of ingrained into into a lot of our thinking in that we you know you've, you've got a lot of like i say you've got a lot of dentists trying to offer specialist service and they're just focused on that service and um, but what they don't realize and, and you know I, as i said i've made the mistake is that there is this thing that looming in the horizon called the replacement event and i talk about this a fair bit but the replacement event is something that dentists don't really ever talk about they don't want to face but but it actually is really an, an interesting thing so here's a typical example you know i i've done patients with sort of 10 veneers you know 15 20 years ago and what i realized this replacement event what it actually is is, is one of several things firstly you don't i mean you don't know what's going to happen firstly the patient comes back and they may need a new set of veneers and the first question is can they now afford them yeah. okay you never hear that when you when you're doing a course on veneers okay very rarely can this patient actually will they be, be able to afford them at this later stage the second thing is, will the patient actually be in any kind of psychological state to do it? Because I've got situations where I've got patients I've done several veneers on and, and one or two of them have now chipped or fractured. And you know what? They can't be bothered. They literally cannot be bothered. They're just okay. walking around with bits broken. Wow. You know, and, and it's, they're not, you know, their teeth aren't falling, their teeth aren't becoming non-vital or anything, but they just don't want to deal with it. And then the, and the last one, which is, you know, a very technical one, but again, many of the, many of the older people, uh, dentists would know what I'm talking about. But when veneers fail, they don't all fail. What tends to happen is one will break or two will break. And I'll tell you what, trying to match a single veneer that's 10, 15, 20 years old to a new one is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> it's, yeah. It is just one of the most difficult things to do because everything changes, cement changes, uh, ceramics change, it's a nightmare. Yeah. No one ever talks about that. And it's something you've got to consider. So that's why I, I say that you're much better off not getting into that kind of treatment unless you really have to. It should be last resort treatment. There are a lot of people that probably do need it, but it should be last resort treatment, not something we, you know, we just we sell to people as a kind of big treatment plan, smart makeover type. Yeah, that's a really, really good insight and a, and a, and a different way of thinking when treating patients. Tiff, I want to really go back to a, a, a point that you mentioned before. And again, it's just, we've gone past the stage, but I'd really like to find the answer for this. I'm really curious. You mentioned when you were at the lowest point in your in your dental career, there was certain courses that you attended that really helped you get out of that kind of stuck mindset. Yeah. What what, yeah. what courses were there that you attended? Well, well, yeah, actually, I mean, one of them was was actually Mike Wise's course. And, and the older older people listening would probably remember Mike Wise. He was an amazing dentist, worked in the West End, brilliant teacher. And he, I think he retired a few, year, few years ago. And it was just one of these courses that, I mean, he was doing such high-end private dentistry that I could not actually even imagine getting anywhere near because my patients couldn't even couldn't afford that sort of treatment. But okay. somehow I kind of just went on it to see what where you could go. And I think as long as you go with an attitude to sort of thinking, you know, you, you can aspire to do something like that, you're, you're going to try and climb the ladder a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't. Wouldn't, I didn't expect to walk out there being able to do everything, but it, it got me on that sort of pathway. Okay got me into aesthetics as well so 
you know, hearing him definitely was one of those key moments actually that, that flipped my career. I'd have to also say that, and I mustn't ever you know, forget this, even though I had that low point, I think part of the part of the fact that I was trained at King's was a big big deal as well because yeah. there were certain people at King's College who really I found quite inspiring as teachers. Not all of them, I can say that honestly. Yeah. But there were people there that who are still there who I kind of made dentistry, learning dentistry enjoyable, whereas other days I really didn't like it at university. So and there were people that didn't you know, who made it enjoyable were people like, you know, like Brian Miller and, and Martin Kelleher, you know, those kind of guys and yeah. Brett Robertson and you know I, I honestly where I am now I owe a lot of my thinking and my ethos to people like that you know yeah that of a doubt so I think I was also very lucky to have gone to King's which is a <laughs> which yeah. is another thing uh, which, which a lot of people don't say <laughs> so. yeah just from our conversation Tiff I can I can see that that so many different people have had an impact and influence on your career and the way you think and perform treatments and, and, and how you look at dentistry for as, as a whole so you're not really just, I mean, I don't think anybody in life is original. There's always no. influence and impact from other people and in environments as well. And it's good to hear your story and all the people that had made an impact to your dental career. And, and it opens up to the, to the whole idea of having that growth mindset and keeping an open mind to everybody's opinion, everybody's style of teaching as well. And obviously taking bits here and there and implementing it within your own career. Something that you mentioned before where... Uh, Mike Wise course where you thought, wow, this is the type of dentistry I would love to get to, and and at that time you thought it was unachievable. But again, that saying where if you shoot for the shoot for the the moon, if you miss, you'll still hit one of the stars. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a it's a good to hear all these insights from you, Tiff. I would like to end the podcast with one question: If you were to give one piece of advice to young dental professionals who are at the early stages of their dental career, what would that advice be? Stay off Instagram. <laughs> that's a bit of a joke but I mean Instagram it, I'll, get, I'll get to the point yeah. Instagram is actually is actually very powerful very very useful but I also think it's quite depressing in that it's one of the worst seems to be one of the worst reflections of humanity okay. um, I'll probably get banned from it from saying that now <laughs> but there's so many things that are so wrong with it that I think uh, but I think what I would say is, is it is related to that. Is, is don't be pressured by what you see. Is take your time. I think there seems to be, you know, a huge rush. Everyone to develop their own brand and be this and be that and be, you know, get 50 million likes and 50 billion followers. Yeah. Understand the advantages in that. There's no doubt there are people. There are some real superstars on it, but they're not real life. It's not real life dentistry. Yeah. You know, a lot of the superstars are working in West One and have got, you know contracts with this xyz company and all the rest of it and that's fine most dentists don't have that and actually many dentists actually feel quite when they see that sort of stuff feel quite second class yeah. and i've had i put a couple of messages out saying this and I have a huge amount of people come back to me later saying you know it was so good what you said that you know think about treating your own patients don't worry about having to be a yeah. huge social media star and get all these new patients. That's what I would say: is take your time in dentistry. Um, there's there's no rush. You know, it, it took me at least 15 years, I think, or 10 or 15 years to sort of think I was going where I needed to go. And I think, you know, you, I would worry you if you start doing huge amounts of dentistry too early, you'll burn out too quickly. So it's always better just to sort of take your time and you know look at everything and and just. You know, do some courses and stuff. But the, I would say the most important thing, final message really, is to if you can, is just try and stay in the same practice, um, yeah. which might may not seem appealing right now. But if you do, 
uh, I think it will come back. Uh, the benefits will come back in the future, and uh, you'll 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 learn so much and develop so much uh, a better relationship with people and manage your patients so much better. That's my feeling. That's good advice. Definitely good advice, and I agree with you on the Instagram as well. <laughs> There's. <laughs> It's, it's actually having a negative impact on a lot of people when they are comparing their lives or their cases or their success to other people's. And again, you, the one thing you mentioned, it's not real. It's the best of the best that they showcase to everybody else. They would, I mean, nobody will put on Instagram, this is the patient complaint I've had last week. <laughs> exactly. it's, exactly. it's never the reality. Exactly, and I, I think you know we it, it's it, you know it's, it's all about body image and yeah it's, it's just not right. And I think you know we're we're focusing on the wrong things. And I think we're getting to the point where it's a, it's a quite a controversial thing to say, but we're getting kind of getting to the point where dentists are attracting patients because they're good looking. Wow. Now now. And I, I, I'm not wrong by saying that, yeah. Because I'm yeah. seeing dentists on their on their Instagram <coughs> page posting pictures of themselves, and some of them, some of these people are professional models and beautiful people. Yeah. In the same yeah. pages where they've got some dental content. Yeah. Now, and, and I just think that that's kind of that's if that's what's if that's where we are. Right yeah. Now, I'm I, I'm a bit saddened by it. Yeah. You know. You're, you're, a, de- a good dentist is a good dentist. You don't have to be good looking. You don't have to be glamorous. You don't have to have a, an amazing car or a watch or any of this stuff. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with having an amazing car or an amazing watch. But the reality is, is that you know patients should come to see you because of you, because you're you're a caring person and a great clinician, not because you've got a flashy this or a flashy yeah. that. That's the way. I, and that's I think the problem with Instagram is even people who I know are genuinely lovely people, their Instagram image can actually distort them. Yeah. You, you can't get my you get my mean my meaning. Yeah. Um, we just got to be a little bit careful with yeah. that. And as I said, the, my message would be for, for younger dentists is don't take that too seriously. Just focus on the people sitting in your chair and build that. You know, getting them word of mouth. You know, there's nothing there's nothing better than word of mouth marketing. You know, that's what it is. That's true. That's true. People spending hundreds and thousands on bleeding Google and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But the reality is, is that the best is always word of mouth. It is. You know, it is, and it, it always is. will be. Always will be. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you, you do a good job. You're nice to somebody. Their family and friends come and see you. That's how it works. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's that's the best way. And if I was a patient, that's what I would do. Yeah, I wouldn't sit there flicking through Instagram looking looking at a load of dentists. I would actually want to know know someone that's been there. Yeah, and if you, you know, are one of those patients, then it's probably not the type of patient you would like to have in your practice. Yeah, there's an argument. There's an argument to that. Yeah, there is an argument in that. Absolutely. Well, Tiff, thank you for being on the show. You've shared really knowledgeable pieces of advice there, and also the last tips you've given. It's, it's, been, yeah, it's been really controversial, definitely controversial. <laughs> you've even made me go controversial, but, <laughs> but it's been a really useful useful podcast. And I think there'll be a lot of people out there, especially in the early stage of their careers, who could definitely definitely find value and guidance from this podcast. So thank you again, Tiff, for being on the show. No worries. Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast with Tiff. If you are in the early stage of your career, if you want to get advice on your career or just want to learn more about what Tiff does, you can visit his website, which is iasortho.com. And if you need to get and hold or get in touch with his team, you can contact them on 020-8916-2024. Stay tuned for next week's show, which is again is a Wednesday at 8 p.m. on a regular time. And I'll see you guys next week. A word from our sponsors. The Creative Composite. Dental marketing, which helps you grow. The Pluto Partnership, where professionalism meets confidence.